Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2, Philippians 2. And uh, we've been in the book of Philippians now uh, on Sunday mornings for some time, just kind of working our way through the book. I've mentioned a couple of times uh, that Philippians is one of, if not my favorite book in the Bible. And I know that probably doesn't mean much because I say that often when I get to portions and passages of Scripture that... Uh, that are uh, very dear to me, uh, and there are a lot of them. I've got to admit, I have a lot of favorites when it comes to books of the Bible and passages. But I will say this, I believe that Philippians is probably my favorite book in the Bible, just four chapters long, um, but it is just a tremendous and powerful book that is filled uh, with great truth and, and great encouragement for us. And so if you are in Philippians 2 and you're able to stand, I'll invite you to stand one more time uh, as we read the scripture together, beginning in verse number 19. Just to give you a little bit of background here, if you remember, uh, Paul is writing this letter, and that's what this is, it's an epistle, it's a letter that's being written from Paul to the church at Philippi, one of the churches that was started uh, under his ministry, And, uh, and he's writing essentially from a prison cell. We don't know exactly where he was, but he was imprisoned at the time of the writing of this. He was a prisoner of the Lord. We find several prison epistles. This is one of them. What's unique about this one is it is a book primarily about joy and rejoicing being written from someone who is imprisoned. And that's only possible through the grace of God that we can have joy in the midst of our troubles. And so now he's writing to these people who he loves and cares for deeply. And he begins to address a logistical issue with them. He's separated. They're separated uh, physically. You know, he's in prison, probably in Rome, and writing now to them. And uh, there's some distance between them. And because of this, you know, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have... Skype and those kind of things. And so he's writing this letter and he says in verse number 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that's of Timothy or Timotheus, ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father... He hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. This is an interesting uh, portion of Scripture really to try to delve into and to preach because it's really a communication between Paul and this church about how he desires to come to them but he's not able to and so he's sending someone else to them and it's really if you just kind of gloss over it you could think he's just kind of giving some points uh, about logistical issues but there's actually a lot more to it than that as we start to dig into this passage of scripture we find there's a lot of really powerful truth now let me just say at the outset Uh, We have to remember, as we're reading, especially through the epistles, that this is a a, a real letter that was written between real people. Sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we kind of uh, maybe uh, 
glorify things to a point. We understand it's a supernatural book. It's given by inspiration of God. It is the very words of God that have been given to us. And so sometimes we kind of almost divorce the reality of the fact that these were real people living real lives. And here we really get a little bit of insight or a little bit of a glimpse into the fact that even though the circumstances that Paul was dealing with and the Philippians were dealing with, the prison, uh, the imprisonment, the persecution, that even though those circumstances were extreme and we don't necessarily face those things as much today, uh, we, do, we can relate to the fact of you know, wanting to go to be with someone and not being able to. Uh, maybe some of you have grown children that live some distance away and you find that your work schedule or your health or your uh, finances or whatever tend to get in the way and, 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 you know, as you communicate with them, boy, I wish that I could be there to see those grandkids, you know. Uh, th- once you have kids, your parents don't care about you anymore. They only care about the grandkids, right? And so, you know, I wish I could be there to, to celebrate this birthday with, with the grandkids or you know, my wife and I were talking about the fact that uh, we've been married for 16 years. And of those 16 years, I think there have been three or four uh, Christmases that we have spent with one of our parents. Otherwise, it's been uh, just our family, and, and we actually uh, have, have made that decision for different reasons. But, but uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to be away from family on holidays. Uh, or, uh, you know, you, you're, you're just separated, and you find as you try to make, make that happen... Things get in the way. Uh, weather prevents you from traveling or, or your circumstances, whatever. That's really kind of what was going on here. Paul is saying to them, I wish I could come and be with you in person, but I'm not able to because obviously I'm kind of stuck here where I am. And so because I can't come to you, I'm going to send Timothy. I'm going to send Timotheus. If you remember, Timothy was his son in the faith. He had led him to the Lord. He had trained him. Timothy had served with him, and it was like, I can't be there, but I'm going to do the next best thing, and I'm going to send Timothy to come and check in on you. And I guess we can just pray, because that's the end of the message. No, uh, there's more to it. As we start to look into this, there's some really powerful truths that I think begin to unfold, and and I, I think it's important as we consider really Paul's heart for God and his people. And this is what I want to just spend a few moments on this morning considering with you from the scriptures is having a heart for God and his people. Because here is Paul, put yourself in his shoes and consider what it would be like to be, to have this desire to be ministering, to be doing the things that God has called you to do, but you physically are not able to do that. And so Paul's trying to kind of find the next best thing. What can I do? How can I still try to have an influence on these people? Obviously, he's written this letter that the Lord gave him to write. And he sent it by the hand of Epaphroditus back to the church. And now he's going to send Timothy. And I want you to notice in verse number 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that, here's why, that I also may be of good comfort... When I know your state. Here's a man who has a heart for God and he has a heart for God's people. And what he's saying is he he brings up the issue of his concern. This is his concern. His concern is, I wish that I could come to you, but I can't. So I'm sending Timothy so that he can report back to me of how you're doing. 
Paul's concern in the midst of all of his problems was not himself, but rather the Philippian believers. I want you to think about the significance of that. Here's a man in prison, not able to do what he wants to do. No doubt his living conditions are not ideal. He was not in a, you know, a heated cell with, uh, with a, a padded mattress and three square meals a day. Uh, no, that wasn't how imprisonments worked back then. And under the, the Roman army, uh, there was a lot of brutality. Uh, conditions were abysmal, to say the least. Uh, he may have been sitting in a dungeon at this point with chains about his, uh, his arms and his legs and, and, and rodents and rats and all kinds of insects and creatures crawling all over them and uh, barely having enough uh, bread and water to be able to survive, wondering at what point finally they're going to be done with him and he's going to die. But as he's in this situation, he's writing this letter, here's what he says. I, I just have to send Timothy so that he can report back to me because once I know how you're doing, I'm going to be of good comfort. I'm going to be comforted, even in the midst of these circumstances, to know that you are doing well, that you are prospering. Now, again, understand, the Philippians were not exactly... Uh, prospering by the world's standards. They were part of that group of churches of Macedonia that uh, he says in 2 Corinthians were in deep poverty. He addressed the issue of persecution earlier in this chapter, right? In, in, in nothing terrified uh, by your enemies, by your adversaries. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at a situation where he's, they're not necessarily in a, in a good situation themselves, but what he's concerned about is not just their physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being. It would have been easy, would it not, for Paul to have put himself first, assuming that since his circumstances were more dire than theirs, that he was justified in being self-centered. Have you ever known anyone like that? Maybe you've been there yourself. I know I've been there. A trial or a difficulty comes into my life and it so consumes my mind that I have a very hard time looking at the needs of other people. Because I'm only looking at me. And to me, the only thing that matters is the man in the mirror. You know, One of the, one of the easiest times to become self-centered is when everything is going wrong in your life. And to begin looking in, and, and here's Paul, who would have had, by every human justification, would have had every right to look at himself and say, listen, I'm glad you guys are doing okay, but I've got to worry about me right now. All my effort, all my attention needs to be focused on my situation because things are not really going good here. But that wasn't his heart. His heart was this, I just need to know how these Philippians are doing because if I know that they're doing well, I can be comforted. Really, this is a fulfillment of what Paul just told the Philippians in verse 4 of this chapter. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, this is the heart of a shepherd. This is the heart of a spiritual leader. Uh, someone who cares for God's people. The shepherd's heart is for the sheep. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the, not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, 
and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. Now, that, that passage of scripture, John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking of himself being the good shepherd. And he uses this illustration. He says, when, when there is a shepherd who cares for the sheep, he's going to make sure uh, that, they're, that they're in a, a, a good place, that they're protected, that they're being watched over. But if that shepherd hires someone to come in and watch for the sheep, that hireling, that uh, employee, he's going to come and he's, he's going to watch over the sheep until problems come. Because when the wolves come in and they attack, he's going to flee for his own life and the sheep are going to be left to themselves. But that's not what the good shepherd does. Why? Because these are his sheep. And he's willing to lay down his own life to protect the sheep. And this is what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. I am willing to lay down my life for my sheep. What a wonderful uh, picture and, and powerful truth that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us so that we could be saved. I'm thankful for that. But listen, if that is true of Jesus, is that all, not also true of those who serve the Lord Jesus according to his heart? The Bible uses the term, speaking of spiritual leaders, specifically in the New Testament, it calls us pastors, those who God has entrusted with the care of his church, they are pastors. You know what a pastor is? The word pastor means shepherd. It's someone who cares for the sheep. Now, here's something that I have had to learn. You are not my sheep. You are his sheep. But if I have a heart for the shepherd, I'll have a heart for the sheep. And I will not be a hireling, I will be a shepherd under the good shepherd. I will follow his leadership and care for his sheep. Because that's what pastors do. They care for God's people, at times to their own peril. <laughs> at times to their own sacrifice. They care for God's people. The Lord said uh, to Israel back in Jeremiah chapter 3, He said, And I will give you pastors, shepherds, according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. You see, the true pastor, the true shepherd, the truly spiritually minded leader is going to care for people in the same way that the Lord does. They will have the heart of the Lord. I will give you pastors according to to my own heart. A true pastor will have the heart of God uh, for his people. But listen, it doesn't stop just at the office of pastor. This ought to be true of parents with our children. We ought to have the heart of God for our children. What parent do you know that is not more concerned with the well-being of their children than they are with their own well-being. I mean, that, that's just a, the, the simple fact of parenting, right? We make sacrifices for the good of our children. It's what we do. I look at my wife and I, I see all of the many sacrifices that she makes on a daily basis to make sure that the kids are fed and clothed 
and, and educated and that they, that they are loved and that they don't kill each other. Okay? She makes a lot of sacrifices to make that happen. This is what parents do. We care for our children. But listen, here's the sad thing. Most parents have the heart of a parent for their children, but they don't have the heart of God for their children. Well, here's what I mean for that. We care about their physical well-being. We want to make sure that their needs are being met on a physical level. We want to make sure that they have a place to live and and clothes on their back and food uh, in their belly. And we want to make sure that they're educated. And a lot of parents will even go to the extent of trying to make sure that their children have, uh, get to enjoy some of the good things of life. That they have more. You, you'll hear parents say, I just want my kids uh, to have more than I had as a kid. And they'll try and provide them with good things, material things. They'll try to provide them with opportunities maybe that they didn't have. Opportunities to participate in sports and different things like that. They'll try to make sure that they have the best education. They'll try to make sure that they have friends. I've known parents that have put all kinds of work and effort into making sure that their kids have friends. But the problem is sometimes parents will emphasize all of those things to the neglect of the spiritual needs of their kids. Do you know that as we sit here, and and, and by God's grace, I don't know of any of our church family, so I'm not talking about anyone in this church, but as we sit here in the Lord's house worshiping the Lord, and downstairs our our children are are being led in in Bible lessons and and songs that will try and and point them to Christ. As we're here, there are multitudes of professing Christians that are outside of the Lord's house today because their kids have a soccer game or a baseball game or whatever it is, or they're doing something. They're outside of the Lord's house because they're trying to make sure that their kids get the opportunities that they want them to have. And I'm just saying to you, listen, I'm not against all those things, but don't so emphasize the material things that you want to give to your kids that you neglect the spiritual things that they need. The heart of a parent is, I want what's best for my kids. The heart of God is, I know what's best for your kids, and they need to know me. And and we ought to have the heart of God for our children. But by the way, this should not stop with pastors or with parents. This should be the heart of every Christian for God's people. Did you know that you should care about the the spiritual well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that not what he said in verse number 3 through 5? He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." If you are saved, you ought to have the heart of God for God's people. You should love the brethren. And by loving the brethren, I don't mean, hey, we get to have an ice cream fellowship tonight and we're going to stand around and talk about the weather and, and, and life and family and all that. I mean, by having a heart and a love for God's people, you should be concerned with their spiritual well-being. You ought to be praying for one another. I mean, look around you. Do you know how many needs are are represented right here? 
There are people in this room dealing with all kinds of physical health problems. And they want you to pray for them. There are people in this room that are dealing with financial problems. And they would appreciate it if you would pray for them. There are people in this room that might be dealing with family problems that you don't even know about. And you ought to be praying for them. There are people in this room that are struggling to have a relationship with God, to know what it is to get up in the morning and spend some time in prayer and Bible reading. You know what? They could use a brother or sister in Christ that would pray for them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. There are people in this room that are struggling with sin. And they need some Christian brethren to care about their spiritual state and try and help them through prayer and encouragement and counsel. There are people in this room that are dealing with grief and carrying burdens. And they need other people to be bearing those burdens with them because we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so all of these things, when you look around you, I'm just saying, you ought to have concern for one another. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And Paul was able, from a prison cell, to say, listen, I I would be comforted just to know that you're doing well because I'm not looking on my own things. But I'm concerned about you. You see, someone who has a heart for God is going to have a heart for his people. We see his concern, but then I want to show you his confidence. And this is, I hope, encouraging and helpful to you. Because he says here a couple of times, in dealing with the reality of his situation, verse number 19, notice he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Verse number 24, he says, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Verse 23, he says, Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. And so as Paul is talking to these people, he's saying, listen, here's the reality of the situation. I can't come to you, but I really am hoping to be able to send Timothy. And I'm even hoping that one day I'm going to be able to come and be there in person. And in both of these cases, he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus. His confidence was this, as he was concerned for God's people, he was willing to trust that God knew. Now this may seem simple and it may seem uh, uh, very basic and foundational to you, but I I think this is powerful when you consider the fact that Paul had to acknowledge that there were certain things out of his control. Even as he cared about the needs of these people and he wished that he could meet them, there were things that were outside of Paul's control that he could not meet those needs in the way that he wanted to. And so what did he do? He put his trust in the Lord Jesus. He had to entrust the people that God had given to him to the Lord and trust that God was going to make a way. He was willing to trust the Lord to work out the circumstances I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus unto you. I trust in the Lord that that I myself will be able to come uh, shortly. I'm just trusting God. Can I tell you this, friend? I believe that one of our biggest struggles as Americans is we think that we have the resources to figure things out on our own. And so when we see a problem, we see a need, we try to find a way to meet that need. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But we often do so to the neglect of trusting the Lord 
to meet the need. I was with a missionary several years ago, probably five or six years ago, uh, visiting them and their, their field where they were serving. And just through the course, I think we were there about almost two weeks, and through the course of our time, there was a phrase that just kept coming up that they were using. It was just kind of a common phrase in their family. Every time that a, that a situation would arise that was unexpected or there was a delay or there was some kind of an issue, you know what they would say? Well, we just need to acknowledge the Lord. We need to acknowledge the Lord on this. And, and what were they talking about? Well, they were referring to Proverbs 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So what, what's the idea? In everything, I'm acknowledging the Lord. You know what the problem is? I am very quick to acknowledge my schedule and my finances and my resources and my knowledge base. I am quick to acknowledge those. And then when something happens that's outside of my ability to control in those areas, then I'm at a loss because I don't know what to do. When I really ought to be acknowledging the Lord in all things. I need to trust Him. And so, it's really up to the Lord whether I can send Timothy to you. And it's really up to the Lord whether I'll ever be able to see you face to face again. And I'm willing to leave that in God's hands. How often are we willing to leave things in God's hands and just say, I have this concern, I have this burden, but it's outside of my abilities and I'm just going to trust God with it. I'm just going to trust that the Lord's going to work everything out in exactly the way that God wants to work things out. James chapter 4, if you'd go there quickly with me, James 4, the Bible addresses these, these folks as well that think like we do. James chapter 4 and beginning of verse number 13, what does it say? It says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I wonder how many of us have had a conversation like this even today. Hey, what are you going to be doing this week? Well, tomorrow I'm going to go to work and then after work I'm going to I'm going to come home and I'm going to work on this or do this. or I, we're, we're going out to, to dinner with this couple. We're, what do we talk like? We talk like these things are all within our control. But they're not. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of today. There are people that were planning to be here this morning and woke up and they physically were not able to be here. I'm just saying that we live life like we're in control, but we're not. Our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. I mean, we're not in control of anything. But look at verse number 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. It's evil to think that we've got everything under control. We ought to live our lives with this mindset. If God allows me to do something, it is by His permission and by His grace. 
It's, it's not by, by my abilities and my power and my strength. And so rather than looking at life and trying to control everything and fix all the problems ourselves and, and, and work everything out and plan everything out, what are we to do? Acknowledge the Lord. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. But I trust in the Lord. I'm, 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 my confidence is in Him. He was willing to trust the Lord to work out the circumstances. But let me say this also, and this can be very, very, very difficult. He was willing to trust the Lord with the people that He was concerned about. He was willing to trust the Lord with the people that He was concerned about. His concern, his care was for God's people, in this case specifically the church at Philippi, and these are God's people, these are God's sheep, and I am willing to trust that God is able to take care of them. We read in the beginning of this book in chapter 1 and verse number 6, he says, being confident of this very thing, that, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident that the work that God started in you at salvation, He's going to keep doing. By the way, can I add in there without adding to Scripture? With or without my presence, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ. Now, God puts us in people's lives to have an influence, to make a difference. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I want you to know you are not the key component in someone's life whether they're going to succeed or fail spiritually. He is. That's true of church people. That's true of your children, your grandchildren, your brethren. It's not you, it's Him. He said in verse number 13 of chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God's work in you that matters. He said over in chapter 4 in verse number 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What's he saying? I'm trusting in the Lord not only to work out the circumstances, but I am trusting in the Lord to care for your needs. He said in Acts chapter 20, if you remember, Paul met with those elders of the church at Ephesus and he told them that this was the last time that they would see him in the flesh. This was the last time that they were going to see him this side of heaven. And he gives them some parting instructions and as he closes out uh, his, his conversation with them, here's what he says. I think it's verse 31 of Acts 20. He says, and I, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among them which are sanctified. What's he saying? I, my hands are off. You're not going to see me anymore. And I'm committing you. I'm commending you. I'm giving you over to God and trusting you to him because I know that he is able. This is one of the hardest things to do with people that we love and care about and are concerned for. My wife and I have been privileged to be involved in missions in different capacities, uh, really around the world throughout our marriage. And in some of those places, we've been able to invest more than others. 
uh, we spent some time in southern Africa, in Botswana, and really were able to lead a number of people to the Lord and begin discipling them. And we really saw the beginning uh, of a church uh, forming in that place. Uh, there's a church there in Francistown, Botswana, that's made up of some of those people that we, that we led to the Lord, Bible Baptist Church of Francistown. And I'm so thankful for them. But you know what? I, we left there. It was a temporary situation. We left there. And we had to trust that those who were coming behind would follow the Lord's will in, in working with these people. And by God's grace, uh, we're thankful that they have. We spent a year in Liberia, West Africa. And some of the people there that we led to the Lord and began discipling and, and, and teaching and, and even training for ministry to some degree and preparing them, we, when we came back to the States, you know what we had to do? We had to trust the Lord to meet the needs in their lives. Not just physically, but spiritually. And that can be a hard thing to do for people that you have prayed for and invested in and you've led them to the Lord and they're your son in the faith, you know, and, 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 and now you're, you're, you're leaving. And you've got to trust that God is able through other people and, and whatever else to work in their lives to make them what they need to be. I mentioned my sister-in-law is here this morning. They've been on furlough now for several months. And the work that they have there in, in the Dominican Republic is, is being led by some of the men of the church that are there. And it's, a, it's really a great growing opportunity for them. But I can guarantee you that's a difficult thing to be away and not knowing everything that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And you know what you have to do? You've got to trust the Lord. You've got to trust that God is able. And here's something I have learned in my years of ministry. And this is a wonderful truth that we all need to get down. God cares more about His people and His churches than we do. And He is able. He is able. You know what? I've seen people that have, that have left a church and I've thought, oh no. Look at all the things that they were involved in. Look at all the areas that they served in. Look at, look at the leadership that they had. Look at how much they gave financially. And, and I just don't know how we're going to do without these people. And you know what? It's very humbling to realize we're all replaceable. But God always meets the needs. Because he cares about his church. More than I do. And so I can trust him. I can trust that even when things aren't necessarily going the way that I think they need to go, it's not, I've got to trust in the Lord Jesus. I'm confident that though I'm concerned, he's more concerned. And the good news is, the one who's more concerned is far more able to meet the needs than I am. There are just so many things that are outside of my control, but nothing is outside of his control. He can take care of it. And so I can trust Him. I can trust Him to work out the circumstances. I can trust Him to care for His people. Parents, can I encourage you to trust God to work in the lives of your children? That's not an excuse not to be involved. That's not an excuse not to pray for Him, to diligently train Him and teach Him. But I, I've noticed this especially with parents of grown children. It can be hard to let go and, 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 and you know, cut, the, cut the cord, so to speak. It can be hard to do. 
But at some point, you've got to learn to trust God with that. You've got to be confident that He is able to work in their lives, and you've got to pray for them, and you've got to try to influence them, but you've got to let God do the work in their lives. So we, we've seen His concern, and we, we've seen His confidence very quickly as we go back to Philippians. I just want to point out to you His confession. Here's Paul's confession. I don't think he's being unkind. I don't think he's being uh, whiny here, but he's just stating a reality. Verse number 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Here's the confession of a man who has a heart for God and for God's people. Here's his confession. Most people don't think like I do. Most people are not wired to give themselves in sacrifice for the service of the Lord and for God's people. He even said in verse number 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ." The sad reality is that very few people are actually spiritually minded and have God's heart for God's people. Paul knew what it was to experience, uh, to experience loneliness in his service to the Lord. If you read over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what did he say? Verse number 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And then he talks about all the other people who've left him. He says, only Luke is with me. You come down to verse number 16 of that chapter, and he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. This is sadly the case today. Very few people are minded toward the eternal things that God cares about. Most people, like verse number 21, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And Paul said, one of the hardest things for me is as I'm sitting here unable to come to you, I look around and very few of the people that I have trained, very few of the people that I'm working with, can I actually trust to come and, and, and sacrifice their time and their energy and their effort and their safety and to come and minister to you and care for your state? Because I have no man like-minded. All seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And, and folks, I don't want this to be... Um, an insult to anyone. But it can be a burdensome thing in ministry when you pour your life into the people that God has given you and you're just you're giving for them of yourself. And it seems like the, the commitment level is just not there. There aren't others who are willing to step up and do the same. There just aren't people who are willing to come and co-labor, you know, and yoke up with you and, and hey, hey, pastor, here I am. We're, we're in this thing together. It can be a burden. But thankfully, Paul was able to say, I do have Timothy. I have no other man that's like-minded. There's no man like-minded, but I do have Timothy, and I know that he will naturally care for your state because... He is minded like I'm minded. He has a heart for God and God's people. And I know that when he comes, he's going to pour himself into you. And so I'm going to trust the Lord with this. 
So what's the point of this, friends? I, I just want to say to you this. First of all, has the Lord touched your heart in such a way that you are willing to break the mold of the norm? All men seek their own. And to really get in the yoke with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to have a heart for you, and because I have a heart for you, I want you to give me a heart for your people. And are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to be concerned about the needs of others. I'm going to look beyond my own personal needs and desires. And I'm going to minister to those around me that God has put me in their lives to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be a help. And I'm going to prioritize the Lord's church. And I'm going to give my all in service to the Lord because I'm concerned for them because God's concerned for them. And, let's take that another step further, are you willing to put your confidence in the Lord and trust God to do things that are outside of your control and use you in ways that maybe you yourself could not even imagine that God would be able to do? You see, the spiritually minded person, the one who has the mind of Christ, is one who, like Paul, has a heart for God and a heart for his people. Would you stand with me this morning?